Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Key Life Fellowship Men's Bible Study. Pastor Kirk Hall is continuing his expository teaching through the Roman Epistle. Our prayer is that God would use this time to help you continue to grow in your faith. Now let's open our Bibles as the Holy Spirit unveils God's truth to our hearts. You guys open up to Romans chapter 16. We will be looking at verses 25 through 27 tonight. And we will be looking at Paul's final doxology of Romans. His final doxology in this, as we learned in the beginning, his magnum opus, his his greatest work. Uh, Many scholars dub it that. Many people will say this, that if you were only left with two New Testament books, and it was the Gospel of John and Romans, you'd need to know, you'd have everything that you needed and everything that you needed to know. I don't know that that's true because God gave us others to go along with them. But we have seen in this study the, the tremendous amount of theology that Paul gave to this church um, the encouragement that he gave, uh, the, the cause for unity, so that there is no division. And I think we're, as men in this room, I can say this, we're, we're getting that. We're seeing that. We're, we're living those things. And that is very encouraging. And tonight we're going to come to the final section of Romans where Paul is going to once again. Remember in chapter 11 where he had been teaching doctrine after doctrine after doctrine after doctrine, and then he got there to doxology and reminded us that Theology ought to bring us to doxology. And we talked about that in that lesson. Here we're going to see Paul once again moved as he closes this out. And he closes Romans just like he did in the first part of Romans. He's going to close out reminding us of some crucial things. Um, And the more God reveals His Word to us, the more it ought to drive us to this type of doxology and praise. We see Paul here is going to, at the end of this, after he's given all of his greetings and all of his encouragement, after he has closed all this out, he's going to stop one more time. He's going to just get caught up in praise for the God of the universe, the One who graciously saved him and who has allowed him to be doing what it is that He created him to do. And so, the more God reveals Himself to us, uh, through His Word. And, and let me just tell you this. That's how God reveals Himself to us as believers. His Word. As we see Him more clearly in His Word, it ought to bring us to our knees in praise. It ought to bring us to that place of doxology. And again, here's Paul in his final ro- words to the Roman church. And he's going to end with a beautiful doxology, a beautiful offering of praise to the Lord. He can't help it. Um, those of you who are truly believers in here, You've had that in your life where God moved you to that point where you just couldn't help it. You had to just stop and you had to praise Him for who He is and for what He's done, for His goodness and His grace, and to recognize His glory. We learned that in the beginning before we ever started Romans, that principle of soli deo gloria, uh, God's glory alone. And Paul is going to end with that today in Romans as we read this together. Verse 25, it says, Now to Him who is able to establish you by My Gospel, and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known 
through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all nations might believe and obey Him to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul offers these words of praise. He starts off by praising God for the glorious Gospel. Remember, that's how he started Romans. Way back in Romans 1.1, he called the Gospel the Gospel of God. There are many people who in in error, they say this, they, they say that Paul taught a different Gospel than Jesus. Notice I said that is an error. That's not true at all. These people are called mid-Acts dispensationalists. If you ever hear people saying that Paul taught a different Gospel than Jesus and the Apostles taught, run from that person. That is heresy. He's not saying that. They like to use this verse here in 25 as evidence where he says, My Gospel. Paul is not saying it is his Gospel, but it is the Gospel that he has been entrusted with to preach. He's not saying it's his. He's already established. We know in Romans chapter 1, this is God's Gospel. And it reveals a righteousness from God apart from the law. All those things that he has taught. So before we even start jumping off into verses 25 and the first part of 26, I want you to understand this. Paul is not a mid-Acts dispensationalist. You say, I've never even heard that term. Good. If you come across that term again or someone tries to teach you that, know this. That is not orthodox. That is heresy. Paul preached the Gospel of God. Christ preached the Gospel of God. The apostles preached the Gospel of God. So when he says here in 25, my Gospel, he's not saying that it's different than that that Jesus and the apostles preached. There's nothing in this context that would even suggest that as these false teachers have alluded to. So, just to clear that little bit of heresy up for you in case you run into it. Again, when you do, Mark that person. They are a false teacher. Time to turn your ears off. No longer listen to them. If you get the opportunity, tell them, no, that's not true. Paul actually said that it is the Gospel of God. That's how he actually opened Romans up in one one. But he's praising God for this glorious Gospel. 25, Now to Him who is able to establish you by My Gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for the age, long ages past. But now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings. Paul is praising God for this glorious Gospel that he has been talking about this whole time. And he's reiterating some facts that we've already learned, that the church at Rome has already learned, because we learned it from what he wrote to them, that this Gospel that he's praising God for is the Gospel that establishes men with God. This Gospel establishes men with God. In fact, apart from the Gospel, we learned this early on in this study. We're what? We're alienated. We're cut off. We're enemies of God. But because of the Gospel, we have been reconciled to a holy God. This Gospel establishes men with God. And the only men that God will accept are righteous men. We talked a lot about imputed righteousness. And that imputed righteousness came through the righteousness of Jesus Christ as He was offered up on the cross in our place. So Paul is reiterating the fact that this is the Gospel that establishes men. Now to Him who is able to establish you by My Gospel. He's writing to the church at Rome, reminding them again 
ending up everything that he has talked about. Don't forget, it is the gospel that establishes men with God. It establishes their righteousness, which we know this. It means their rightness with God. He's saying men can only be right with God through this gospel, and we praise God for it. Why do we praise God for the gospel? Because because if God had not provided the gospel, we would still be alienated from Him. We know God did provide the gospel through the Lord Jesus Christ to reconcile us unto Himself. And it is the gospel, as Romans 1.16 taught us, it is the gospel to which we are not ashamed of. That is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And so we see he's praising God and, remind, and reminding the Romans that it is the gospel that establishes men with God. Romans 1.17 For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed. Remember learning this way back when? Two years ago nearly. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. We are going to cross-reference Romans a lot tonight and remember the things that he has taught us as he reiterates those things. What we see in Romans chapter 3, the same thing. Verse 22, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. What does he mean there is no difference? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is no difference between the Jew or the Gentile. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. How did it come? Verse 25, God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. And He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. And He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Paul is reminding them that we should praise God for the Gospel. It establishes men with God. Apart from the Gospel, there is no relationship with God that has been established for any sinner. But understand that? We're not all just children of God seeking Him our own way. The only way that you are truly a child of God being reconciled to the Father is through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Period. Paul stops again at the end of this letter. He didn't have to do this. He's already taught us all these things. But he wanted to give glory where glory was due. Thank you, Lord, for the glorious Gospel. Because it establishes men in a right relationship with our Heavenly Father. Not only that, it is the Gospel that exalts Christ as Savior and Lord. Now to Him who is able to establish you by My Gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ. That is, Jesus the Christ. That is, Jesus the Anointed One. Christ, as we've learned, remember, is not His last name. It is a description of who He is. He is the Holy One of God. Paul is praising the Father for the gift of the Gospel that exalts Christ as Savior and Lord. Romans 1.7 says, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is again praising the Lordship of Christ. We know in our time, so many times, the Lordship of Christ is overlooked. It's not even talked about. It's almost as if Jesus is this bearded woman who, who came to just make everything better. However, that is not who Jesus is. Paul is reminding us 
He is Jesus, the Lord. He is to be exalted and He is to be praised and He is to be glorified. He taught us in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, and I hope you remember this, that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, He says, you will be saved. Why? For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you are that you confess and are saved. He is exalting Christ as Lord and Savior again, reminding us of the importance of Jesus Christ. So he's praising God that for the gospel that is a gospel that establishes men with God. It's a gospel that exalts Christ as Lord. Any gospel that does not exalt Christ as Lord is a false gospel. Right? Everybody say Amen. It is a false gospel. Because we must confess Him as Lord. We must exalt Him as Lord and as Christ the Savior. But it's also a gospel that explains God's Word. Look what he says then in 25. He says, In my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past. He's talking about the things that had not come to light. He's specifically talking about the gospel. But now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings. Through the prophetic writings. What he's doing here is he's praising God for the glorious gospel that establishes men with God and that exalts Christ as Savior and Lord, but also it is the gospel that explains the Word of God. It is the gospel that makes the Old Testament make sense. And the Old Testament does not make sense without the gospel. How many of you would say this because the gospel has been seen more clearly through Romans everywhere that I read the Bible, Old or New Testament, because the Gospel has been made clear, the Word of God has been made clear. That's exactly what Paul is saying. That's the mystery that he's talking about. There in verse 25, he's explaining in verse 26 that it has been made clear. Now, because of the Gospel, we can understand the things of the Old Testament. We can understand that when we read the Old Testament and we read about sacrifices, we can understand the reason for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, because we know this without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. We know that Jesus had to come and He had to shed His blood as an atonement or there would be no forgiveness. So Paul is explaining that the Gospel, the reason that we praise God for the Gospel is because it explains God's Word in detail. It makes all the Old Testament make sense. The law, the history, the prophets, it brings it all together. When we see the truth of Jesus Christ in the Gospel, all of those things start making sense. When you talk to a person who says, I read the Bible and it just doesn't make sense, you ask them, well, explain the Gospel to me. They can't explain the Gospel to you, and there is your explanation as to why nothing else makes sense. A person who can't explain the Gospel to you have a hard time believing that they truly know Christ. Paul says it's the Gospel that explains God's Word. That's why we praise God for His Gospel. Romans chapter 1, as we were way back then, there in verse 2, he says, it is the Gospel He promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scripture. The Gospel was promised through His prophets in the Old Testament. The Gospel came to fruition, and as it has been explained by the Apostle Paul here, even in the Roman epistle, it is that Gospel that gives clarity to the rest of God's Word. 
Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Romans 3, 21. He says, But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. I told you, when you know the gospel, the law and the prophets testify to the gospel. Now the law and the prophets begin to make sense. Everything that the law taught and everything that the prophets say, they pointed to Christ, and when we see Christ in the gospel, we fall to our knees and we praise God and we say, thank you, God, for your glorious gospel because it explains the rest of your word that we would not have explanation for. It would still be a mystery. Paul is letting us know that. But God is worthy of praise because he has revealed this mystery, and Paul has unfolded this to the church at Rome. And we have, through the last many months, been able to walk alongside of them and to benefit just as they benefited from the inspired Word of God that God placed upon the Apostle Paul to write to the church at Rome. We see in Luke chapter 24, if you get time, read this, but we see that Jesus there walking on the road to Emmaus, He was there and He was talking with some men. And about verse 17, He asked them this question. He said, what are you discussing as you walk along? And they stood still, it says, and their faces were downcast. One of them, named Cleophas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? This is post-crucifixion. This is post-burial. This is post-resurrection. And here they don't even know it, but Jesus is standing in their midst. And they said, what things? It says in 19, what things, he asked. And they said, about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. I guess not. He rose, just as he said. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Verse 25, he said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Jesus is letting these men know, just as Paul is letting us know, God's worthy of praise, because in the Gospel... Everything that the prophets spoke, everything that the Old Testament spoke was fulfilled in Christ or will be fulfilled in Christ before it is all said and done. Verse 26, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, watch how Jesus approaches. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning, watch this, himself. Everything that was said concerning himself. Paul is seeing that clearly here, communicating that clearly, reminding the church that we need to stop and praise God for this glorious gospel. It establishes men with God. It exalts Christ as Savior. And it explains God's Word. Moses, the prophets, the history that we find in all of the Old Testament, all of those things point to the glory of of God revealed in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to praise Him for those things. To stop every day 
to preach the gospel to ourselves, that glorious gospel, to remind ourselves daily of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and how the law and the prophets and the psalmist pointed us to Christ in all of those writings inspired by the Holy Spirit. And now, because we have received greater light in this time of grace for the Gentiles, it began here. Paul is speaking to them about how he was the apostle to the Gentiles. And the light has been turned on for us. All of you in this room here tonight, the light of the gospel has been turned on for you by the power of God so that you can see the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise Him for it. It is every day that we ought to wake up and say, Lord, thank You for another day to fellowship with You that was paid for by the precious blood of Your only begotten Son. Without Him, I am nothing. I need Him every moment, every second of my life. Thank You, Lord, for the glorious Gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul stops to give this doxology toward God for the Gospel. It is that Gospel that establishes men, exalts Christ as Savior and Lord, and explains God's Word so clearly, so plainly, as we know Christ and as we walk and as we grow and the knowledge of who He is and what He accomplished at the cross for us 2,000 years ago. We ought to have the same reaction that Paul has when we talk about the Gospel, when we read about the Gospel. When we see God move through the power of the Gospel and open the eyes of that blinded sinner, open the ears of that blinded sinner that they can see and that they can hear and to quicken those dead souls to new life, it ought to cause us to say, thank you God for your glorious Gospel. Paul is reminding the church of this, the Gospel of God, the glorious Gospel, is worthy to be praised. And that God is worthy to be praised because of the work that He has accomplished through the message of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ at Calvary. The next thing as we move on in the next part of 26, we see not only does He praise Him for the glorious Gospel, and we could stay there. I, I almost made that just one lesson. But he moves forward. We see in verse 26, he says, But now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey Him. All nations. I want you to see here, a lot of times we read past something like that and we just don't get what it says or we bypass it. He is specifically thanking God for His grace. He is especially thanking God for His grace toward the Gentiles. Some of you, your translations actually right there say, instead of, um, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all nations might believe. Some of your translations said so that the Gentiles might believe. Paul is especially talking about that because we know that Ephesians tells us about the Gentiles that they were without hope and without God. But yet, in the Gospel, in the Gospel of grace, God has included all nations. Now, that doesn't mean that all nations and every individual that has ever existed will be saved. You have some explaining to do to those people who are cast into the lake of fire there toward the end of the Revelation. However, when he says all people, he's talking about God's people are not limited to just the Jews as the Jews once thought. 
God has extended grace to all people. That means this, there will be, as He promised in the Old Testament, people saved for His namesake from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people. Paul is stopping for a moment here to give praise where praise is due. And he's praising God for the gift of grace. And he expresses that especially because of the Gentiles. So we see that he's talking about grace toward the Gentiles. Romans 1, verse 5. Remember this when we were there? It said, Through Him and for His name's sake we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith. Even way back then, Paul was establishing the fact that this glorious gospel that he's praising God for here at the end was not just a gospel for the Jew. It was first for the Jew, but it was then also for the Gentile. That this gift of grace is grace toward the Gentiles. We know that in Romans 1.16 that I've already referenced, he says that. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Now, I don't know about you guys, but as a Gentile sitting here, I rejoice and I praise God that He extended grace to the Gentiles, that He did raise up the Apostle Paul as the Apostle to the Gentiles so that we could hear and receive the glorious Gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is praising God for His gift of grace. Grace toward the Gentiles. Grace that transforms to obedience. Look what he says there. He says, to all nations that they might believe and obey Him. True grace transforms people to obedience. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, verse 22. Here's what He said. Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but only He who does the will of My Father. He is raising up for Himself, by His grace, a people of obedience to bring Him glory, honor, and praise. He still desires for Himself a holy people. What we learned in Romans is that we don't become holy on our own. We become holy by justification through grace alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We learned that. We saw that theme throughout the whole study. But this grace that we receive must transform us to obedience. Remember where Paul answered the question, shall we sin so that grace may abound in Romans chapter 6? He said, God forbid. No, this is not a, an excuse to live any way that you want to live. We know enough of those people, don't we? That's the antinomian that we learned about who just takes the grace of God and abuses the grace of God. Paul is praising the Lord, for this gift of grace. Grace that transforms to obedience. Why is He praising God for this gift that transforms to obedience? Because God desires obedience. He hasn't changed His mind. How many of you understand? An immutable God's mind never changes. We can go back to the first human being. His name was Adam. And what did God desire of him? Obedience. And where obedience fell by the wayside, so did intimate fellowship with the Father. But in Christ, intimate fellowship is reestablished through His substitutionary atonement so that we can now, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, 
enjoy an intimate, watch this, personal, and don't leave this out, obedient relationship with our Heavenly Father. Paul recognizes here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13, he recognizes and actually commends the church in this way. Verse 13 says, Because of your service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. Was obedience important to the confession? Yeah. Why? First, because Jesus said so. Now Paul is reiterating that here to the Corinthians. And he says, For your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Indescribable gift of what? His grace. Because it is His grace that leads us in Christ to real obedience. We talk about it every time that we baptize someone here at this church. What is baptism? It is their first act of obedience. They are finally getting to do something that God commanded. What did He command? For the believer, He commands believers' baptism. When a believer participates in believers' baptism, he is for the first time doing something successfully with the right motives to bring glory to God. And he preaches the gospel through that death, burial, and resurrection that is pictified in baptism. Paul is praising God for the grace that transforms us. Anyone here thankful to God that you have been transformed by grace? Remember when you tried to transform yourself by law? How did that work out for you? The poor legalist, which is the opposite end of the spectrum, as we have learned from the antinomian who abuses grace, that legalist, what he does is he tries to establish his own righteousness. And in establishing our own righteousness, whether that be the law that God has laid out and penned for us, or whether that be some law that we have created in our own human minds, what we find is this. We in our human nature are more than prone to fail at keeping the law. But our obedience is found in Christ and in His indwelling Holy Spirit to which He has called to live inside of us and He is sanctifying us and moving us toward obedience because we're in Christ, not so that we can be in Christ. I don't know about you, but I can answer for me. I am thankful for the gift of grace that not only justifies me, but transforms me and sanctifies me into practical obedience unto God for His glory and His glory alone. Paul, praising God for His gift of grace after praising God for the glorious gospel that allows us to receive grace. We see that that grace he is praising God for was toward the Gentiles especially because that was Paul's heart in this letter. Not limited to the Gentiles by any means. It was being expressed to the Gentiles through Paul and his influence. It's grace that transforms us all toward obedience. That's why when we see someone living like the world and they claim to be a Christian, we just kind of get that look on our face like, huh? This doesn't add up. Why? Because those of you who are truly Christians, you know in your heart of hearts, in the inmost part of your being, you know that God has called you to an obedient life. That's why the Holy Spirit convicts you now when you sin. He's not going to allow you to live the life that you once lived, I assure you. That is an abuse of grace. And then we see that this grace not only brings obedience, but it brings, it is brought 
through faith in Christ and that alone. Look how he finishes that last verse, part of that verse out. He says, so that all nations might believe and obey him. So we have belief and obedience. We know that this is grace through faith, and it is faith in Christ that causes us to be obedient. Let me just tell you this. If you really have faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, it will move you toward obedience. Because the first time you sin as a true believer, you're going to realize something. Oh, wait. That's the thing that crucified Christ. That's the thing that He bore upon His back. Those are the nails that were driven in His hands. That was the cat of nine tails that ripped His flesh from His back. You're going to realize that when you sin as a believer, it is that sin. It's that sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. It's that sin that caused Him to suffer. It's that sin that caused Him to stay there in anguish upon that cross. It is that sin. And you'll see sin for what it is as a true believer. That's why Paul answered the question, shall we... Sin so that grace may abound, God forbid. He's saying this. There's no way. There's no way. The true believer is going to abuse such glorious and wonderful grace. It is a gift. It is a gift that comes by grace through faith in Christ. It is a gift that moves us to obedience in Christ. And he's saying this in this doxology. It is a gift that God, thankfully, has included the Gentiles in on. We as Gentile believers here, good old U.S. of A., and sit back and we can rejoice this evening in the glorious gift of God's grace that He has given us in Christ Jesus. Paul was praising God for grace. Once again, we ought to find ourselves doing the same on a regular basis. Doing the same on a regular basis. When you do sin, you realize that is what nailed Jesus to the cross. Also realize in that same breath that is the whole purpose of the cross, that He could offer you grace for that specific sin and for all sin, past, present, and future. He has taken care of your greatest problem. He has taken care of your greatest enemy. And He is worthy of praise because it is His grace that establishes that. Step back. Be reminded every day of His grace. Those of you who are here and you are believers, Thank Him. You did not pass from this earth before you had the opportunity to believe and to repent and to obey His command. Thank Him every day. Lord, thank You that You spared me long enough that I could hear the Gospel being proclaimed. Thank You, Lord, that You did get my attention through that thing that You thought was awful at the time, but now You look back and You go, that's God's grace. That's His providence. He rescued me. He got my attention. Let me tell you this. He didn't have to do that for any of us. That's why we call it grace. God's not obligated to any of us. He owes us nothing. And we receive such great salvation for Him because of His grace. Paul stops and says, I want to thank Him again for the gift. The gift of His grace that has been extended. Then he moves on in the text to the last verse. And it ends with a very strong Praise, he says, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. He starts this with a doxology and a word of praise for the glorious gospel. He moves to praise for the gift of grace that God has given us. 
And he ends with praise for the glory of God. This is the whole reason for Paul's life, his existence, his teaching. Every breath, every effort, every fiber of his being was for the glory of God after he was converted to Christ. History proves it. The Scriptures prove it. We are reading and learning and have been reading and learning for nearly two years because of His passion for the glory of God that was revealed in Christ Jesus to Him specifically. He wanted others to hear of that glorious God. He's praising Him here, revealing again the whole reason for His existence. The whole reason that He was on this earth. Can I tell each of you that's the whole reason that you're here? If you are in Christ here today, the reason that you exist is to bring glory to God. It's to bring glory to God. If you have a family, the reason that you are the leader of that family is so that you can point them to the glory of God, to the Gospel of Jesus Christ, so that they can experience personally His glory. Paul is stopping and praising God here at the end for His glory. And His glory contains so many things, but Paul mentions a few here. The first thing that he praises Him for, he says, this doxology to the only, the only very important word that we need to see in this text. There is only one who is worthy. Paul starts this doxology with the matchless worth of God. His matchless worth. There is no one who even compares. I want to read a few lengthy passages. And I want you to bear with me as we read these lengthy passages. And when I say bear with me, you're going to have great desire in the middle of these to shout. Hold them back if you can. If you can't, Just praise Him. But He says this in Revelation in the fourth chapter, speaking of the matchless worth. It says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit. There before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian and a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. And seated on them were 24 elders. These, of course, representing the church. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lampstands were blazing, and these are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. And the third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes. All around, even under his wings, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy. Many people say, well, what are those things? There are things beyond anything that we can even imagine that God created specifically to praise him. 
night and day, saying, Holy, holy, holy. Why? Because He is holy, holy, holy. We read on. It says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. It goes on to say, Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to Him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, Watch this. You. No one else. Nothing else. You are worthy our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. What a picture of heaven. What a picture of true worth. Matchless worth. That there are specific things in God's creation that we can't even begin to understand with our finite human minds that praise Him night and day and never stop speaking and singing and proclaiming His matchless worth. Paul, in this same type of doxology, says, to the only. That word only is such a big word, though it's a small word in English. It's such a big word in the magnitude of who God is. He is the only one worthy of this doxology that Paul is giving. So we see he starts with his matchless worth, that he is the only one who is worthy of a doxology. Oh, we spend so many times in our culture praising people who have acquired wealth and praising people who have, have become successful athletes and proclaiming and, and and worshiping people because they, they, they make movies on a, on a TV screen and they become famous. None of them have the matchless worth of our God and our Savior who right now, beings who were created in eternity past are doing what they've always done. And one day we will get to join in with them around the throne and lay those crowns down as those who have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and say along with them, Holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is come. Paul recognizes his matchless worth. Then he moves to this. He says, To the only wise God. The only wise God. Not only his matchless worth, but his infinite Wisdom. He's the only one worthy of this doxology. But He is truly infinite in His wisdom. We read again in Revelation in chapter 5, verse 11. It says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And again, the elders fell down and worshipped Him. They are there praising Him even for His infinite wisdom. 
He is worthy, they said. He is worthy, he who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength. He is the all-infinitely wise king. Paul is stopping and admitting this. He doesn't want anyone in Rome to say Paul is so wise. He wants to give glory where glory is due. And he wants them to see that God, just as the angels in heaven recognize that God is the only one who should receive glory for the wisdom that has been imparted to anyone, to the only wise God. If you have any wisdom in you this evening, any godly wisdom at all, praise Him for it. If He's given you insight into seeing the things in His Word and to teaching others, that didn't come from your intelligence. It came from God's wisdom. Praise Him for it. Just as Paul did. Pointing everyone to Him. Not to Paul. Paul didn't end the letter. Hey, thanks for letting me be your apostle and sharing all of my great wisdom with you. No, he said, to the only wise God be glory. To the only wise God be glory. He speaks of His matchless worth, His infinite wisdom, and His salvation work. Watch what he says here. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. He mentions again the salvation work of God that saves us. It is through Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ alone that any of us will be saved. That any of us have a relationship with God. That any of us are truly children of God, washed and cleansed of all of our sin. It is all because of Christ. It is His salvation work that He provided for the glory of God that allows us in on anything that involves the kingdom of God. Watch what Revelation chapter 5, going back to the first part of chapter 5, says about this. Verse 1, it says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. And I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Remember, Paul taught us it's, it's Jesus and the Gospel that lets us understand the Old Testament. The lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Verse 6 says, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. And here's their song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? Because you were slain. And with your blood, 
you purchase men for God. Watch this. Remember Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, praising God for His grace that He's showing to the Gentiles. Watch what it says here in the Revelation. It says, for from every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. What a glorious picture. What a glorious picture of Christ and His salvation work. Paul is giving God glory for what Christ has done when he says this, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. The only way that we can recognize the glory of God in any capacity is through seeing what Jesus Christ has done for us. That with His blood, He purchased us. Men from every tribe, every language, in every people, in every nation. Paul gives praise for the glory of God, His matchless worth, His infinite wisdom, and His salvation work. The work that Jesus Christ fulfilled as our substitution on the cross outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. It is the only hope that we have of seeing and experiencing the glory of God for all eternity. And because of Christ, those of you who are in Christ, you will for all eternity fellowship around the glory of God forever in His kingdom He has prepared for His saints. So, Paul stops this letter with a hearty Amen. So let it be. It is so. And it is so, isn't it? It is so for all who are in Christ. We know that He is worthy of all of our praise. We know that we have cause to praise Him for His glorious Gospel, the gift of grace that He has given us in Christ, and the glory of God that we have experienced and that we will experience for all of eternity because of the sacrifice of Christ. The alarming news is this. Not all understand that. Perhaps you're in this classroom. Perhaps you've been in this classroom the whole time. You've never truly surrendered to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've heard the Gospel. You've heard the Gospel plainly. You have heard the Gospel clearly. You have heard the Gospel as confirmed by the prophets of old, as confirmed by Moses. You have heard the Gospel. You have been given that general invitation to receive that Gospel. I pray this. Tonight, before you close your eyes, I pray that if God would graciously grant you salvation in Jesus Christ, that today you would turn from your sin. That you would trust in Christ and Christ alone to save you that you could share the heart of Paul and the heart of all the other men in this room who truly know Him. That heart of doxology. Isn't there something about it when we think about the glorious Gospel? Something wells up in the true believer. When we think about the gift of His grace, something says, yeah, without that, I would have nothing. Without that, I would have nothing but judgment and hell. Then when we think of His glory, oh, how we have seen and will see the glory of God through Jesus Christ, our Savior. I pray that if you don't have that hope, 
you would cry out to Jesus Christ. Just as the Word of God says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What that call is, is a desperate call after God reveals to you your desperate situation that you are a sinner and you are cut off and you are in need of Christ. And my prayer is this, that you would cry out to Christ to have mercy on your soul before it is too late. And then to you men who know Christ, man, we've learned a lot in this study. We've all received a lot of knowledge and a lot of theology. and We cannot forget. We haven't received these things just so that we can know more. Just so that we can have a bunch of knowledge. But just as Paul concludes here, we've received these things. His grace and His apostleship, he knew that he received that from God. And that God deserves all the glory. God teaches us these things. God shows Himself to us, not so that we can puff up about what we know. So that we can proclaim who we know. We can glorify Him in our lives, how we live, through our praise, how we express ourselves in thanksgiving for what He has done. May Christ continue to overwhelm you in your life as you see His matchless worth, His infinite wisdom, and the salvation that He has worked through His sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, we love You and we thank You so much for allowing us to receive so much from You that we don't deserve. For Your grace, for Your mercy, Lord, for Your sacrifice that rescued us and cleansed us from our sin and purchased us for God. God, I pray for the soul who's in this room tonight who does not truly know You. Lord, I pray that You would extend grace to them tonight. That they would not leave this building this evening without talking to someone about what it means to truly be born again. God, I thank You for these men who are here and they know You. God, I pray in their lives that they would be ever aware of Your worth. That they would praise You and live a life of thanksgiving because of Your Gospel and Your grace and Your all. We hope that you have grown through the teaching of God's Word. If you would like to find out more information about Key Life Fellowship, visit our website, keylifefellowship.com, or you can email us at info at keylifefellowship.org. We would love for you to join us in person. Our men's Bible study meets every Thursday night at 7 p.m. here at the Key Life Fellowship campus located in New Caney, Texas. Or feel free to join us at one of our Sunday worship services as well. As we conclude today's lesson, I will leave you with one reminder. Go out and be the light in a lost, dark world.